Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Micah, chapter 3, beginning at the first verse, the prophet Micah brings God's word to his nation. Then I said, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, Should you not know justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot, Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, if one feeds them, they proclaim peace. If he does not, they prepare to wage war against him. Therefore, night will come over you without visions, and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets, and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed, and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Hear this, you leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, who despise justice, And distort all that is right. Who build Zion with bloodshed. And Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for a price. And her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. And now we turn back in the Bible to the book of the prophet Jeremiah, to Jeremiah 26. And this starts on page 786 in the church Bibles. Page 786. This is Jeremiah chapter 26 and beginning to read at verse 17. The prophet Jeremiah has been threatened with death because he has been prophesying God's coming judgment on the kingdom of Judah. Some of the elders of the land stepped forward. 
and said to the entire assembly of people, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. He told all the people of Judah, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, or anyone else in Judah put him to death? Did not Hezekiah fear the Lord and seek his favor? And did not the Lord relent so that he did not bring the disaster he pronounced against them? We are about to bring a terrible disaster on ourselves. Heavenly Father, we've got some hard words to deal with in our passage this morning. So we pray for your help. Uh, We pray that you would keep us from resisting them. We pray that you would help us to apply them and see how they apply to us. And we ask for your help in this, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, please do sit down. And uh, as you're sitting down, if you could be turning back, if you've got sight of a Bible, that would be very helpful for me. Uh, Micah chapter 3. We're part way through a series, uh, working our way through this book of Micah. And uh, we've got to chapter 3. You'll find it on page 932 in the Church Bibles. Um, also, amongst the bits of paper you're given on the way in, there's, a, there's a, an outline of where we're going, so you can use that to, to track how far we've got, or to make one or two notes. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? We all seem to have things that cause us to react with moral outrage. Uh, moral instincts, I think, vary somewhat from person to person. Uh, so the person who, who reads The Guardian will, will tend to be outraged by slightly different things, perhaps, from the person who reads The, the Daily Mail. And uh, sometimes our moral instincts can be a, a bit, well, random or eccentric. Um, you come across many people who, who will see red, I mean, seriously see red when they see a misplaced apostrophe. You know, that's what uh, really sort of triggers them. And, uh, or, you know, you're in the line at, at M&S uh, waiting for the cash tills and there's a queue jumper. Now, how bad is that? Uh, I think many people would go nuclear at that point if they possibly could. Uh, for myself, I find my, you know, this sort of instinctive reaction uh, when I'm doing my run in the Mayfield Valley here, which is a very beautiful place, and I come, but I come across a, a pile of rubbish from someone who's been doing fly tipping the night before, well, there's something about that that makes my blood boil at the time. It seems such an outrageous thing to do. It's not a particularly well-thought-through reaction. Um, that's hardly the worst evil in the world at the moment. Uh, but there it is. That's how I feel at that moment. But I think there is one thing, at least one thing, that will spark moral outrage in pretty much all of us. And it doesn't matter where we live or what political persuasion we would line up with or even what part of history we live in. And it's this, it's corrupt leadership. It's the selfish abuse of power and responsibility. We all hate it when we see it. We're all outraged by it. As we're thinking about uh, Freddie baptized here this morning, Um, many of us, I'm sure, I'm sure friends and family are wondering, what kind of world is he going to grow up in? What kind of leaders are we going to have, political leaders, all those kinds of things, and we desperately would love it if there wasn't this corruption of power, corruption of leadership. And it's a sense of outrage that we find 
As I was saying, right across history, and we do find it very, very strongly in our our Bible passage this morning. These are words spoken nearly 3,000 years ago for God's people at the time of King Hezekiah, spoken by the prophet Micah, but written down, written down so we can hear those words today. And I think we'll see today that these words have been written down so that we too can see that corrupt leadership really is outrageous. It's, It's not a quirky or random reaction to those things. That's how God thinks about it too. Uh, And especially as we think about parallel examples of corrupt leadership today, I do think we'll find it quite easy in the end to agree with Micah and applaud him for exposing these things. It's good to expose them. It's good to to face up to them. This passage is going to go further than that, though. It's going to take us a step further than that. You see, we already talk quite a lot about corruption and the abuse of power. Our news is full of it. But often we're powerless to do anything about it. But part of the message we're going to look at today is that God is not powerless. And it was part of Micah's good but very sober message that God was just about to judge his people and bring about true justice amongst them and wipe the evil amongst them away. And it is likewise part of the good but sober news of Christianity today. It's part of what we've always confessed It's what we remember in the season of Advent that's just about to begin. That the Lord Jesus Christ will return. He will come back from heaven to judge. And he's not going to judge just an individual nation. He's going to judge the whole world. In fact, everyone who's ever lived. And that's a sober truth, but it's a good truth. It's not a happy truth, but it's a good truth. That justice really is coming against wickedness. But there'll be another thing today as we reflect, reflect on this uh, issue of corrupt leadership, um, I do think that we'll also be forced to think about ourselves, forced to admit however much we might resist the idea, well perhaps in the end all of us, all of us are perhaps not so different from them. In which case while we might rightly thank God that justice is coming, Uh, We'll also want to thank him, as we've been thinking about very much today. We'll also want to thank him that there's the possibility of mercy too. Indeed, thank him that in the perfect, uncorrupt leader, our Lord Jesus Christ, God is providing access to both perfect justice and perfect mercy. So that's where we're going to end up. That's where we're going to end up. But I don't want to jump there too quickly. Uh, The first thing is... The first thing here is to thank God that true justice is coming. After all, that's basically what our chapter this morning is all about, that it's a good thing that justice is coming against corrupt leaders, and it's a good thing that there's someone prepared to stand up and expose it, someone like the prophet Micah, in fact. Now, in this chapter, there are three judgment oracles or speeches Uh, The first of them is directed against corrupt leaders in general. That's the first four verses. Uh, Then Micah focuses down on the corrupt prophets of his day. That's verses five to eight. And then at the end of the chapter, he comes back to corrupt leaders in general again. And each part of the speech has a, a sort of fixed pattern to it. First, Micah names the corrupt leaders. Uh, Then he shames them. He tells us what they've been doing. And then he declares God's judgment 
against them. And you can see that pattern if you have a look at the first four verses, for example, which is focus on corrupt leaders in general. Micah names them, that's the first thing, the leaders of Jacob, the rulers of the house of Israel. It would have included uh, civil leaders, uh, like the judges, and including, in fact, the king, and that would have included religious leaders too, like the priests and the prophets. Uh, We'll see a little later that Micah first spoke these words at the time of King Hezekiah, Uh, But we'll also see how these particular words continue to bite in generations that have followed and in different circumstances. Okay, so he's named them. Next, he shames them. Uh, Let me read from the end of verse 1. This is what Micah says. He says to those people, Should you not be embracing justice, you who hate good and love evil? Or in other words, you know, should you not be leading the people Rightly, leaders are supposed to lead people, aren't they, in a a good direction? And Israel's leaders were supposed to be leading them in in the way of justice and righteousness. But these leaders, says Micah, have got good and evil back to front. They hate good and love evil. Now, we're not told here, in these particular verses, exactly what they've been doing. We get a little bit more detail later in the chapter. But we are told, very graphically, in fact, what their leadership is like. And uh, this is very graphic, uh, but you can see in verses 2 and 3 here, Micah doesn't at all hold back in just saying what he thinks. He's basically saying their leadership is as bad as cannibalism. These are leaders, says Micah, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin, break their bones in pieces, Chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. In other words, these leaders do not see the people they're leading as people. They're just things. They're just lumps of meat to make use of. If anything, they're more like animals than people to be used as a food source. That's the way these leaders are treating their people. Now, although Mike has got the the leaders in his day in mind at at first, uh, his words are an indictment against all kinds of leaders since then. And we know, don't we, from experience and from looking at history, this this is indeed what tyrants do to their people. This is what the powerful people often become like. Uh, They're in positions where they could be doing good, they could be generous, they could be giving people, helping their people. But no, from then, no matter how much they already have, they're not givers, they're just takers. And no matter how far it goes, they just take and take and take again. It's a tragic feature of powerful people that doesn't seem to be going away. Far from it, in fact. And uh, there are too many contemporary examples of the same kind of thing for me to choose from uh, today. I guess the one that stands out, particularly in our news at the moment, is that the crisis that's arisen as more and more sexual harassment um, has been exposed. And uh, that sexual harassment, it, it fits this pattern exactly, doesn't it? So it's powerful men, usually, using their celebrity or influence or power for personal satisfaction, personal gain. And they are indeed treating women like lumps of meat not caring at all how much harm or hurt they cause. And again, there's no giving. It's just taking, take and take and 
take again. It should be, anyway, a relief to read verse 4, that the Lord cares about this too. That there will come a day when those leaders will cry out to the Lord, but he won't answer them. There will come a day, and at that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. See, the Lord God sees these things much more clearly and better than we do, even when it hasn't been exposed, even when it hasn't been dragged out into the public. There, there, and there will come a day when all of those abuses of power will be fully exposed for everyone to see. And at that point, it'll be too, light, too late for those people to cry out for mercy or presume upon God's favor. He's not going to listen at that point. Uh, this is the sober message that Mike has come to bring, to bring, and he's not the least bit embarrassed about saying it. And neither should we. It will be a good thing. Now, we might wonder, aren't there supposed to be checks and balances in our societies uh, to stop this kind of thing? You know, to, 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 to check out the direction in which the culture is going, to check out where the leaders and what are they doing. Well, yes, I think most cultures, most societies have those checks and balances. But what if those checks and balances also get corrupt? Then we're in a real problem, haven't we? And that was the situation Israel found themselves in all those years ago. Because in Israel, it was the job of the prophets to keep a check on the direction of the nation and the morality of the leadership. It was their job to speak the word of God. And with the word of God, they had the definitive verdict on good and evil. Uh, When good things were happening, they could encourage it and speak peace into that situation. And when bad things happened, they could expose it and issue a warning, much as Micah's doing here. But Micah's also telling us the prophets in general have failed. He names them. Verse 5, as for the prophets, he says, and he shames them. They are leading the people astray. How so? Well, they're offering peace and encouragement in all the wrong circumstances, not in response to good things or good leadership, but in response to favors, in response to leaders who feed them well and look after them well. Uh, Whereas their harsh words are reserved for those who don't favor them, who don't feed them. In other words, what they're saying is entirely, entirely selfish motivations behind it, and it's becoming utterly detached from what God is saying, and it's all for personal gain. Let's think about our our situation today. I wonder who should be performing the role of the prophets in our culture in 21st century Britain. I think it should at least include Christian leaders speaking out in public, in the public square. After all, it's the, the Christian leaders who have access to the word of God the definitive guide to good and evil. And as I was saying earlier, it's the part of our gospel message that we warn people about judgment. At least it should be. But let's face it, looking back over the last few hundred years, it hasn't really been working very well. Uh, I think perhaps in the past, Christian leaders have just become too much tied up with the establishment, part of it, and uh, all of its privileges. And today, the the temptation and problem facing Christian leaders seems to be that they're far too concerned to be liked of and approved of and supported by the culture around them. If anything, the prophetic role in our society seems to be taken more by the media. 
Uh, but that's pretty random, isn't it? Without any sure moral compass, their judgments are wild and erratic and inconsistent, to say the least. So we have a similar problem today. It's worth listening, therefore, to Micah's warning to the prophets of his day. This is what he says. Therefore, nights will come over you without visions, darkness, without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed. The diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there's no answer from God. You see what's happened? The word of God is taken from them and it leaves them blind, helpless, flailing around in the darkness with nothing much to say. And we can see this working out in the failed Christian prophets of our day, those who have abandoned the word of God. And by abandoning the word of God, of course, they have very little to say beyond what everyone else is saying. Certainly nothing about uh, judgment, uh, such that too often, from Christian leaders speaking in public, uh, we don't get the full message. We just get, well, kind of hot air and waffle or aimless peace and encouragement. Uh, I wonder, is it really so surprising um, that so many people, if you're a Radio 4 listener, so many people react to Thought for the Day coming on on the radio by lunging quickly for the off switch. But also look here at at Micah's determination not to be like that. He just desperately doesn't want to be like that. This is verse 8. But as for me, as for me, I am still connected with the Lord God. I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, with justice and might, to declare to, jo- to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. I'm not going to give up on doing my job, he says. And so he continues, unabated, with his naming and shaming and warning, addressing the leaders again, verse 9, the leaders of Jacob, the rulers of Israel, shaming them again, as those who despise justice and distort what is right. This time, we get a little bit more detail on what they've been doing. Uh, Verse 10, there's apparently been some construction work in the city uh, with very little regard for the value of human life. Or take it what Micah says at the beginning of verse 11, first half of verse 11. Every area of leadership, civil and religious, Uh, The judge, the priest, the prophets, every area is corrupted by greed. Corrupted by greed. And what's more, nobody seems to be feeling that there's a problem here. Everyone seems to think that they're fine with God. Uh, They lean upon the Lord, Micah says, and say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster is going to come upon us. Everyone thinks they're going to get away with it. And again, it would be all too easy for me today to come up with contemporary parallels, uh, both in civil life and in in the religious sphere too. But I I do suspect by this time I've I've said enough. Uh, I imagine that we're kind of all in agreement here. Corrupt leadership stinks. We all know that. We all hate it when we see it. And so we should be cheering Micah on as he speaks of justice coming. Verse 12, therefore because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. 
the temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. And uh, that might sound strong enough, but let me tell you, the Christian message is even stronger than that. The message is that the whole world will be judged. Every evil and injustice will be swept away. Um, Even the dead will be raised, and they'll be judged too. In other words, there's going to be no one anywhere who's going to get away with anything. And it's a good thing. And we thank God for it. I guess that could be the end of what we say this morning, uh, but not so fast. There is a second and final thing to say. Thank God there's mercy too. Thank God there's mercy too. This is obvious, of course, if you were one of the people uh, Michael named and shamed originally. We heard it in our second reading uh, this morning uh, from the book of Jeremiah. Heard how King Hezekiah, who heard these words... He listened to what Micah is saying and he responded by fearing the Lord and seeking his favor. And the Lord reacted, responded, uh, holding back his judgment at least for a time. And likewise, it would apply today, wouldn't it? We might be cheering for corrupt leaders to find their comeuppance, to find justice. Uh, But what about if you happen to be one of them? You know, you're coming to your senses, you're admitting your faults. In that situation, you'd be glad of a little mercy, would you not? And today, even if we're not kind of specifically named by Micah or targeted by him this morning, consider this. Is the only reason we're not like those people, those corrupt leaders, is the only reason really actually because we haven't had the opportunity? Is that the only difference between us and them? In other words, could it not be that whatever brings them to behave that way and abuse their responsibility, that same thing is affecting our hearts Two. In other words, their problem is our problem. Now, I suspect many of us hearing that, that accusation, that possibility, might, we might want to instinctively push back against it, saying, oh, no, 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 that wouldn't be me. I'd never, ever be like that. Well, let's think about it. The evidence we would be is frighteningly strong. Indeed, many of us are already in minor leadership roles in one way or another, in our families, at, at work perhaps, or in other situations. And uh, we might want to ask ourselves, how is that going? How is that going? And I think most of us, if we're honest, will have to admit it's not going perfectly. There will have been times when we've abused our responsibility, abused the power that we have. Um, If you can't think of anything, just ask someone who you're responsible for, and no doubt they will quickly help you out. Uh, for myself, I, I look back on my, my responsibilities as a father. You know, I know I've got responsibilities there, disciplining my children. Think about how I went about that, especially when they were younger. And I have to admit that when they behaved badly, I knew that I had to bring discipline into the situation. But I also know that very often my anger and concern was not really about them. It wasn't a concern for them. It was much more about my own pride and position and feeling under threat. If we're honest, we fail in our responsibilities all the time. All the time. And the truth is that if we were given more responsibility, well, the chances are we would fail in bigger ways, just like the corrupt leaders that we've been talking about today. 
and the evidence of history, and the evidence all around us, in fact, is that if you put very ordinary, very upright uh, citizens in position of power and authority, then so, so often it goes horribly wrong. And those people, those people can do very horrible, very terrible things. In fact, it's bizarre, isn't it? Many of us are all, you know, already sort of willing to admit that we do exactly the same corrupt as the corrupt people in the establishment who we were put in their place. Uh, you might have read some of these uh, Paradise Papers that have been published recently. You know, papers exposing the tax avoidance practices of the very rich. Most people reading those um, think that that's unfair. They think it's unjust. Uh, but in a survey recently, most people also admitted if they were in that situation, they would do exactly the same. I wonder, you know, given the, the crisis about sexual harassment at the moment, um, would any of us do that? Most of us would vehemently deny we'd ever do such a thing. Uh, but think about how much pornography is used in our culture. Uh, we've got a majority of men a surprisingly large minority of women who are apparently at least fantasizing about having that kind of sexual power over others? Uh, does that not suggest that many people in the heat of the moment, given half a chance, if they thought they could get away with it, would do those things too? Now we react against this, don't we? We, we feel that no, that's not us. But the evidence is against it. And we react against this idea of justice coming, of the justice and judgment of God coming as well. Uh, and our first instinct is to try and join in with those people in verse 11 here, the ones who say that they can presume upon the Lord and say that the Lord is for us and no disaster is going to come. And you know, it's fine, the Lord is for us. This is not about my sort of people, it's not about me, no disaster is going to come across upon me. But are we so sure? Is that the real reason we don't like the idea of God's justice and judgment? Is the real reason we don't like it, the sneaking suspicion we might end up on the receiving end of it? So I guess the big question we're left with at the end is this. Can we have both? Can we have the the perfect justice, which is good, and Mike is reminding us it's good? Can we have that and the mercy we so desperately need? Well, the good news is that over the next uh, few chapters of his prophecy, Micah is going to point us in exactly that direction, and he's going to at least strongly hint, yes, we can. And in particular, if someone were willing to come and take that judgment and justice away from us, to act as a judgment bearer, well, the judgment could be taken away. The justice could be done, but the judgment could be taken away from us, and mercy can come in in its place quite rightly. And it's part of the more glorious, fuller message that we have, beyond what Micah saw, that we do indeed have such a person, such a leader, in fact, in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll just take one last look at verse 11 with me, the, second half of verse, uh, the first half of verse 11. So this is the Christian message that 
the Lord Jesus Christ has taken on these leadership roles for his people perfectly. He's taken on the role of the, the perfect prophet who exposes sin rightly, the perfect priest who deals with it, the perfect judge or king who will judge the world with righteousness. And most of all, he shows that perfection. He shows that leadership. He shows that servant-hearted, loving leadership by taking on for his people their judgment, taking it on himself in his death on the cross. That is what he does. That is what this leader is like. So as I was saying at the beginning, some of our moral indignation at various things can be uh, pretty random, uh, pretty eccentric sometimes. But some of it, at least some of it, is good and right. Some of it is a, a reflection of God's perfect morality. And uh, crying out against the abuse of power, crying out against uh, corrupt leadership is, is a part of that. And uh, when those things happen, crying out for justice, crying out for God's judgment is a good thing to do. It is a good thing to do, and we should be reminded of that today. But it's also, it is also a pretty dangerous thing to do, unless we're also crying out for mercy. Well, let's do that right now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you that in the Lord Jesus Christ we have uh, the perfect leader, the perfect king, uh, the perfect, perfect priest, the perfect prophet. We thank you for his willingness to lead by serving doing it with justice, taking the judgment we deserve upon himself so that we can receive your mercy. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would cling on to that and find it for ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen.